Before I, I, I kind of get into this, I, I want you to pull that uh, card out of your program, the one that Bobby had you pull out. And on the other side, it says, follow class. Okay, one of the things that we are committed to uh, here at Big Valley Grace is um, fulfilling the, the Great Commission. And the Great Commission, Jesus said, go, go and make disciples. You see, one of the things that's uh, uh, really kind of easy for us to do around here, because God does it all, that, that is saving people. People get saved here, give their lives to Christ here almost every weekend. Uh, last night, uh, man, the place was just full of people. And after the service, the altar room, there was a line of people and people gave their lives to Christ. Uh, uh, that's the easy part. Because God does all that. The hard work of the church is making disciples. That's what we're called to do. And when someone gives their life here to Christ at Big Valley Grace, the very first place we want them to get plugged into is what is called the follow class, where they begin to learn what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and there's eight basic lessons are given a book, and it's really a great, great time. Well, um, this Wednesday, January the 12th, in the Fireside Room, we have our next semester of it, and I'm teaching it. I teach it a couple times a year, and if you've recently given your life to Jesus Christ within the last year, you need to sign up for this. It's eight weeks, and then at the very end of it, here on the weekends, we do a big service where I baptize all of these folks, and it's really a, a, a special time. And so we have child care available. All you got to do is call that number, go to the website. If you're new in the Lord, or maybe you brought somebody to church and they gave their life here, maybe you would call them and you um, bring them down here. You take an active role in their journey with, with the Lord, okay? So it's uh, this Wednesday. All you have to do is call this number, go to the website, and, uh, and get signed up so that we know that you're going to be there so that we have all the books and stuff. And I look forward to it. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing uh, some of, uh, of you there, okay? Well, we're starting a, a new series here today called Devoted, where we're going to be looking over the next eight weeks or so. It may go longer the more time I spend in God's Word, the, the, the more I, I seem to be uh, um, kind of thinking through some things that maybe God would have me talk about in this new series. You see, God has a lot to say about marriage. A lot to say about, about marriage. It's unbelievable the things in God's Word as it relates to the topic of marriage. Now, I realize that there are all kinds of people and needs that are represented here this morning. Uh, some of you are newlyweds. I know that last night the place was packed full of newlyweds. Um, in fact, I called up a number of our, our, our newlyweds and said, you need, you need to be here. Uh, the young man that was playing the guitar back here, he's going to be getting married next weekend. I know many of you are engaged. In, 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 in here. Some of you are, are single, but you long to be married. Some of you are single, and, and, and God has uniquely gifted you, and, and you're not going to get married. You're not supposed to get married. That is not God's will for your life. 
As best we know, the great apostle Paul never married. And because he never married, he was, he was free to do some things for the kingdom's sake that, you know, us married guys and gals just can't do. And I know that God has called some of you to, to remain single. That, that's his will for your life. Some of you have, have been divorced. Some of you have been divorced multiple times. Some of you are divorced and, and you're here now. Some of you are divorced and you've remarried. Some of you have divorced and remarried multiple times. Some of you pray fervently that God would bring a man or a woman into your life. And for whatever reason, he, he hasn't. Some of you have a, a good marriage, but it's a little under stress right now. Some of you have a, a dead marriage, and you received the flyer in the mail, or somebody invited you, and you're not even really sure why you're here. I know that when a church gathers like this one, and we have Saturday night services, and Sunday morning, and we'll have a service after this, and we have a, a venue with 200 people in it, and Lord willing, we'll have a venue on Saturday night and 8.45 this next year as God just keeps bringing more and more people. I know that there are all kinds of needs and all kinds of people that are in this audience. But wherever you're at, I guarantee you that God has a specific word for you. I don't care where you're at, God has a specific word for you this morning. He'll have a specific word for you as we go through this entire series if, if God doesn't come back. I guarantee it. I don't care where you're at. God's going to say something to, to each one of you. Now, I've got three basic goals as we start this new series. Uh, number one, I want this to be a series that encourages you especially if your marriage or family isn't doing well right now. I want this to be an encouraging time. My goal isn't to beat everybody up. The Holy Spirit may do some of that. But my goal isn't to beat people up. One of my main goals is I hope over these next eight weeks that you're encouraged. Wherever you're at. Wherever you're at. N number two, I want this to be a series that brings hope especially to those of you whose marriages are hurting right now. Some of you need hope. Some of you have lost all hope, and I want to stand here as the pastor of this church, and I want to believe for you. You can't believe. You, you've lost all hope. Let, let me be the one who hopes for you. Let me be the one who believes for you during these difficult times. Because there's always hope. Always. The God that we serve is an incredible God. And there's nothing too big or too small that he can't accomplish. And number three, I, I want this to be a series that challenges you. I want this to be a time where you're challenged maybe to make some corrections in your life that might make your marriage better. I want this to be a time where you walk out of here each you know, weekend going, you know what, wow, I heard from the Lord. 
And here's something that I believe God would have me to work on in my life. Whether you're single or you're married or you're engaged or whatever it is. You've been married for decades. Because none of us have arrived. All of us are on an incredible journey, the journey of faith. Now, I, I do have one rule as we go through this series. One rule. And that is if you hear something that your spouse needs to work on, and I guarantee you that you'll hear very clearly. You will hear very clearly what your spouse needs to work on. If you hear something and you're thinking, wow, my spouse needs to work on that, you're not allowed to jab him, elbow him, poke him in the eye, uh, you know, write down a, a note and get into the car and hammer them with what they need to work on. You're not allowed to do that. This is a time when you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your own personal life. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to be the one who works in your spouse's life. I have no doubt that you are going to hear things that your spouse needs to work on. I have no doubt about that. But I also have no doubt that you are going to hear things that you need to work on. And so you are not allowed at any moment throughout this series to sit down with your spouse and, and point out all the things in the message that they need to work on. Now, hopefully... There will be moments around the dinner table or at lunch or at night when you will sit with your spouse and your spouse will invite you to give some input into your life. But if your spouse doesn't invite you to do that, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, Jesus put it this way. I want you to work um, on the log in your own eye. And don't worry about the speck in your spouse's eye. And I'm not saying that there's not a moment when you need to have that discussion, but as we go through these sermons, God doesn't come back. No. Well, you know what, Sandy? I'm going to allow you to do that to Lee. <laughs> Lee, Because we all know Lee needs, Lee, Lee needs it. So I just, you feel free to do that all sermon long. There you go. <laughs> Oh, wow. Now, now, today's kind of an overview. It's an introduction to the series. We're, we're, we're going to look at, at God's original design uh, for marriage, which means we've got to go back to the very first book of the Bible, okay, the book of Genesis, because that's where we find uh, God's blueprint, if you will, uh, for, for marriage. So I want us to, to read it. Uh, it's in your uh, notes. It'll be on the jumbotrons. And um, I'm going to start at verse 15, Okay. The word of the Lord says this, the Lord God planted the man, that's Adam, in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, Adam, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man. It's not good for Adam to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed 
from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each of them. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man, Adam, to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out of one of the man's ribs and closed it up, closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from a man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked. Adam and Eve were both naked, but they felt no shame. Beloved, when Adam was put into the Garden of Eden, it was a perfect environment. Sin had not entered into the world at this point. Adam is in this perfect environment. He had a place to live. He had everything he wanted. He had a purpose for living. He had God's protection. He had everything he needed. Yet the Bible says God looked at Adam in this perfect environment and said it's not good for him to be alone. Not good. Now what's God saying here? Is he saying that it's sinful to be single? Of course not. So what's God saying here? Well, I think God's saying a lot here, but let me give you what I believe is the big one. The big thing is exactly what God said. God said it's not good for a man for people to be alone. It's not good for people to be lonely, in other words. There's lots being said there, but the big idea is exactly what God said. It's not good to be alone. It's not good to be lonely. So God made Adam a wife, a partner, if you will, a companion. Beloved, one of the great purposes of marriage is to fulfill your need for relationship, which obviously prevents being alone. Obviously, right? Now, I think it, that it's really interesting, the, the, the process that God took Adam through. First, God creates all these animals and then has Adam name them all, which kind of looks like Eve was sort of an afterthought. He recognizes that it's not good for man to be alone, but then he goes and he creates all these animals and he brings all these animals to Adam and Adam begins to give them all names. And so it, it kind of seems like this whole idea of Eve is an afterthought, but let me tell you, it's not an afterthought. What Adam was doing, I think, was realizing, you know what? There's two of everything. Except me. There's... There's zebras, there's goats, there's birds, there's, there's multiple, you know, things, but, but not me. 
There's only one of me. He's realizing something's missing in my life. Companionship, relationship. That's why in verse 23, as soon as Adam sees Eve for the first time, he says, at last. Maybe a more modern translation might be, far out. Unbelievable. I want you to know, I, I have spent a lot of times just meditating over this passage. Just sitting with it. Trying to imagine what was going on at this moment. Here's Adam in this perfect environment and all these animals are coming and he's giving them all names and all this is happening. And all along he's recognizing, whoa, 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 there's only one of me. They're all running around the garden, hanging out, you know, doing life together, but there's only one of me. And then all of a sudden, coming through the ferns is Eve. At last! Imagine, this is pre-sin. No Mars. No defects. Here she comes. At last! Woo! Unbelievable! There's someone else for me. And as I thought about that, every marriage kind of begins that way, doesn't it? Every man, when he sees his bride walking down the aisle on his wedding day, gets excited. I thought back to 12 years ago when Aaron and I got married down in Southern California. We were at Westmont College. They have a little prayer chapel, and only about 50 people fit in that prayer chapel down there. Pastor John Byron did the music. And I remember when, 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 when she came around that corner, at last! Far out! Unbelievable! Hey, guys, think about that. I did a wedding not long ago of a young man. And one of the things I do is, you know, we always come out, the guys always come out first, and then the gals, everybody starts, you know, they all get in their little positions, whatever it all is. And, uh, and then all of a sudden the music changes, and every eyeball in the place turns, and everybody stands up, and there she is, walking through the ferns, if you will. And this beautiful white dress. And I always put my arm around the person I'm marrying, the guy. And the last wedding I did, this young man was just weeping. He was, he was Adam. And here comes his Eve. Pumped, excited, at last, someone for me. Someone I'm going to spend my life with and laugh with and cry with. Get angry at. Pray with. Go to church with. Do life with. Vacation with. Wow. Every marriage starts off that way. 
But somewhere down the road, something happens. And it happens in almost every marriage. The at last, the far out, the unbelievable fades away. Someone once said that the problem with marriage is that most marriages start off as an ideal and and then they become an ordeal and pretty soon you're looking for a new deal. <laughs> that's not right. That's that I gotta how did that get in here? That's wrong. I gotta cross that out. <laughs> what happens? Why is there such a, a, a turnabout? Well, verse 24 gives us some really important information. It's one of the key passages as it relates to marriage. In fact, it's so important, it's actually quoted five different times in Scripture. It's quoted three times by Jesus, and it's quoted two times by the great apostle Paul. So it's a pretty important verse. It really is one of the key passages in the Bible as it relates to marriage. It's really God's blueprint for marriage. It's the foundation for every good marriage. And let's look at it together, okay? Verse 24 says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. That doesn't seem like there's a whole lot there. But let me tell you something. Wow. That is a powerful passage. That's the blueprint for a good marriage, for a great marriage. That's the foundational passage in, of Scripture for, for, for marriage. See, marriage was God's ideal. He, you know, he thought it up, and these 23 words lay out the foundation, literally 23 words for a, a good marriage. And one of the first things you notice in this verse is that God says that when you get married, when you say, I do, there are some things that you have to let go of. There are some things that you have to give up. And there are some things you need to hold on to. There's some things you need to grab onto if you want to have a marriage that really works. So as an introduction to our series, I want to give you three things that I believe you need to let go of. You need to give up if you're going to have the kind of exciting, you know, fulfilling, happy marriage that God always meant for you to have in the first place. Now, now I want you to know, what I'm going to talk about in just a moment is just going to bother some of you greatly. For, for, for some of you, you're, you're going to tune me out in just a minute. You're going to be so angry. For some of you, it will be uh, the, the, the married couple that will be angry. For some of you, it's going to be the parents of those that are, that are married. And as I said, my, my, my goal here isn't to beat anybody up or poke anybody in the eye. My goal is to share some thoughts and simply allow the Holy Spirit to do its work. And what you do with that is between you and the Lord. But these are things, if you truly want to have a great marriage or you want your children to have a great marriage, that are important thoughts that, that I hope that you really embrace Number one, you got to let go of your parents. This explains why a man leaves his father 
and why a man leaves his mother. And by the way, this goes for the ladies too. When you say I do, when you make a vow and commit to love and care and honor your spouse until death do you part, obviously that means you have to let go of your parents. Now you can still, you know, have a relationship with your parents, you can still love your parents and hang out with your parents. So I need to explain this a little bit. Let me bore down on this a little bit. And by the way, God's not just talking about geography here, you know, moving out of the house. He's talking about leaving psychologically. Leaving literally means to break your dependent. It's, it's to cut the, uh, uh, you know, emotional umbilical cord, if you will. Your, your relationship to your parents changes the moment you say, I do. And like I said, for some of you, this is hard. In fact, for some of you, you haven't been able to do it. In fact, for some of you, it's the reason why you ended up divorced. For some of you, it's the reason why you've had a second divorce. And for some of you, it's the reason why you're heading for a third one, or maybe a fourth one. I'm not saying that this is an easy thing to do for some of you. I'm just telling you what God's Word says. Beloved, if a baby isn't cut from its mother's umbilical cord, it can't live. And the same thing is true for your marriage. A marriage can't work if you don't psychologically cut the umbilical cord and let go of your parents. And as I said, this has nothing to do with geography. You can live next door to your parents and see them every day and be psychologically independent. But you can also, you know, live in New York and your parents live in California. You got 3,000 miles between you, but you're still dependent upon your parents psychologically. So this isn't a, 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 you know, a geography issue here. And I want you to know I see this problem all the time with people who come in for marriage counseling. I hear about spouses who never make a decision without first calling up mommy and daddy. Last night, I asked this person if I could share the story, and he said, yeah, without using his name, but he came up to me in the Welcome Center, and he's been married for about three years, and he said, my wife and I decided we were going to buy a car this year, and so they had been saving money, and so January rolls around, and they went to some car dealerships to look at cars, and they found a car that they both kind of liked and was within their price range and all of that, and he says, I need to call my mom and just hear what she has to say. Now, for some of you, you're going, that doesn't make, wow, that's crazy, yeah. But there's a whole lot of people in here going, uh, mm. he didn't even recognize it until last night the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He came into the welcome center and said, see, so he had to run her by mommy. Is that the right color? Is this the right thing? What do you think, mommy? Some of you mommies out there are angry right now at me, aren't you? Because you like that. I hear about spouses who, when they have a problem, the first person they call is their mommy or their daddy. And this goes for both men and women. 
I know some couples who have been married for years, maybe even decades, and they have children of their own, and yet they've never built any of their own family traditions because they're always with their own parents doing whatever they want to do. So they've never built any of their own traditions. Well, in our family, this is what we do, and so this is what we do, and this is what we do, instead of saying, you know what? I need to build my own traditions with my own children. Here's the point. Your, your partner shouldn't have to compete with your parents. Because when that happens, it puts all kinds of pressure on a marriage, and, and men, it makes, you, makes your wife feel insecure. And ladies, it makes your husbands feel inadequate. Did you hear me? When that's kind of the motif of your life, it makes your wife feel in, insecure, guys. And ladies, it makes your husbands feel inadequate. And here's the deal. When there's that moment and all of a sudden, you know, she comes walking down the aisle in that white gown, at last, far out, unbelievable. You know what? They'll put up with it for a while. And, but there comes a moment, and for every couple it's different, when it's just a drag. Now, there's always this wonderful, euphoric moment, always. But then there comes the moment when, whew, I, I didn't realize your, your mother or your father was just going to be in every moment of our lives. And it just starts to become a burden. Listen, when your obligations to your extended family take priority over your own marriage, I want you to know you're in trouble. You're in trouble. So the first thing you got to let go of is your parents. Number two, you got to let go of other people. And by the way, let me just say this, because I don't want anybody confused. Almost every Friday night, I would say the 52 weeks, I'm going to say 45 of those Friday nights, my wife and I pack up our kids and we go to her parents' house. Every Friday night. I want my kids engaged in the life of their grandparents. So please, don't say I'm saying you can't, oh, you can't, you gotta just dump your parents and never be around them. Are you kidding? That's not what I'm saying. You're a family. You should be a family. And you should have fun and all those kinds of things. But the relationship that we have with Aaron's parents isn't one where we're psychologically dependent on them. That makes sense, right? Number two, you've got to let go of other people. Beloved, if God expects you to let go of your parents, doesn't it make sense that there might be some other people in your life you have to let go of? Absolutely, right? Other relationships? Absolutely. Other friends? Absolutely. Brothers? Sisters? Absolutely. You see, you can be psychologically dependent upon a brother or a sister. Talked last night in the Welcome Center with a guy who's a twin. Now, I'm not a twin, but you can imagine they were very close. Well, guess what? This guy recognized my twin, who I love deeply, is just over-involved in my marriage, and it's just bothering my wife. The Holy Spirit was speaking to them. God wasn't saying, hey, dump your twin. Don't ever talk to your twin. He's talking about cutting that umbilical cord too. 
It could be a former boyfriend or girlfriend. It could be a former spouse. You see, it's important that you let go of these people because you now have to focus on this relationship. Well, there's a, there's a thought from God. Here they come. You're going to make these vows. You're going to say, I do. That relationship trumps your parents. That relationship trumps your brothers and sisters and your friends and your former boyfriends and girlfriends. It always amazes me, couples who, you know, well, you know, she was my girlfriend and we're still friends. Yeah, well, guess what? I guarantee you it's going to cause problems. If you've got a half a cell working in your brain, please tell me you're not hanging out with them. You see, the most important relationship you have is to, to God, to the Lord. The second most important relationship you have is to your spouse. That it, it, it doesn't mean you don't care about your parents and you don't love your parents. It doesn't mean you don't care about your brothers or sisters or your friends or those kinds of people you work with. It's just that this relationship needs work. This relationship you've got to put the juice into. Now here's one of the things that happens when you don't let go of other people. You fall into the trap of comparison. And when, you, and when things start you know, getting a little tough in your marriage, you start thinking, man, if only he or she were like... And you fill in the blank. I wish I'd never broken off that relationship with whoever. This is called the grass is greener somewhere else myth. You know, if you're here... The grass looks greener over there. And if you're over there, the grass looks greener over here. It's really a satanic myth. Listen, the grass isn't greener over there, and the grass isn't greener over here. The grass is greener wherever it gets watered. That's where the grass is going to be the greenest. That's why you got to kind of let go of some of these relationships so that you can work on your own grass to keep it green. So what you need to do is stop comparing your mate to everybody else and start watering your own relationship and watch it grow, watch it develop, watch it expand and become all that God wants it to be. Listen, I heard a guy, you know, I was reading some book, and the guy said, you know, a marriage is the hardest relationship you'll ever have. And I just, I put the book down. I said, no, it's not. I don't want to read what this guy has to say, because it isn't. God didn't, you know, give you a spouse so you'd have this hard, you know, bummer, oh man, it's just a ton of work. No, it's a pretty simple thing. Now, you can make it really complicated, and you can make it hard when you don't let go of parents or you don't let go of other people, relationships. You can make it really hard, but if you just follow what the Word of God says, it's really an easy thing. It's a beautiful thing. It really doesn't take much juice. It really doesn't. 
Now, it'll take a lot of juice if you blow off what God says and you get all goofed up in other things. Number three, you have to let go of your past problems. Beloved, every marriage is going to go through, you know, difficult moments. Okay, look, you have a, an imperfect person, flesh, sinful nature, the old nature, whatever word you want to use. And you have an imperfect person over here, flesh, sinful nature, Adamic nature. And these two people come together and they say, I do. Um... Don't be shocked when two imperfect people come together and have some difficulties. You're going to have them. But let me tell you something. You need to deal with some of your past problems before you say, I do. One of the things that I've discovered is that most people are totally unaware of the excess baggage they bring into any relationship when they, when they get married. I was talking with a, a gal about a month ago who I had married two years ago, okay? And this is what she said to me. She said, Pastor Rick, when I got married, I had, I had no idea how much garbage I was carrying with me as I walked down the aisle in that pretty white dress. And I went, wow, 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 wow. All the garbage in that pretty white dress. Now, what kind of problems am I talking about? Well, there are all kinds of problems. Let me give you three of what I think are the, are the biggest ones. These are three kinds of past problems you have to let go of because if you don't, they're just going to mess up your marriage today. Now, for those of you that are engaged or seriously dating somebody, these are things you need to talk about and know about before you say, I do. These are things that need to be dealt with. Email last night from a young man who's engaged to be married. And as I went through these three things, he emailed me last night and he said, you know what? I don't know whether this is the moment for me to get married. Praise the Lord. So pay close attention. If you're single, dating somebody, you're engaged, really think this through. I think these are going to be three things that could be really a blessing to you. Number one, you need to let go of grudges. Beloved, there, there are a few things that destroy a marriage quicker than resentment. It eats you alive. It causes you to react to your past. And for every minute you react to something that happened in your past, that's one minute you're not putting towards this new relationship. If you haven't dealt with grudges, those resentments that happened in your past, and you say, I do... For every moment you're looking back and you're angry and resentful about something that took place in your past, that's just wasted energy on the relationship you have right now. And once again, when you say I do, your spouse will live with that for a while. But there comes a moment when they go, you know what, I, don't even, I didn't know that person. I never even met that person, but I see all the juice. And there comes a moment where they go, I, I didn't sign up for this. It could be somebody who's dead. 
and you're still holding a grudge. You're resenting something somebody did. And man, you bring into this marriage this thing because you've never let go of it. You've never dealt with it. And all this juice is burnt on somebody who's, who's dead. And it just sucks the life out of this new relationship. Listen, your past is over, it's finished. You can't, you know, the people in your past can't hurt you today unless you make the choice to allow them to hurt you. Let me tell you what happens. When you choose to carry unresolved, you know, anger into your marriage, the person you tend to take it out on is who? Your spouse. (laughs) And they had nothing to do with it. They didn't even know the, the, the guy or the gal. But that's who it gets taken out on. And for a while... A spouse will do that. And then, you know, they're in our offices going, I'm, I'm just tired of it. Just, I'm done. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Sometimes it goes on for so long, it's the children who come into the offices. Man, all my mom, all my dad talks about is X, Y, and Z. It's just, our home is a drag. Number two, you got to let go of grief. Beloved, everybody experiences sorrow and loss, okay? We all do. It's normal and natural to have times of sorrow, even great sorrow. That's normal and natural. What's unnatural is when mourning turns into moaning, and self-pity. Beloved, when you hold on to grief, it becomes destructive and it starts to eat away at you and you start saying things or thinking things like, I'll never be happy again. My husband or my wife doesn't make me happy anymore. I don't know how many of you in here ever saw the movie Ordinary People. It came out in 1980. It actually won the Academy Award. And basically, it was the story of of how one woman's grief, and it was legitimate grief. She had lost a son. So it was legitimate grief, but she held on to it. She never let go of it. She never dealt with it. And so it destroyed her, her, her marriage. Well, it didn't destroy her marriage. It destroyed her family. One person's grief And by the way, we see that all the time. It was a great title for the movie because it was just ordinary people. Grief, sorrow, it's it's normal. I'm equated with with sorrow. I've been in moments of great sorrow. But when you hang on to it, and you don't deal with it, and you bring that in to a marriage. Wow. It just, just messes things up. Listen, no matter how much you grieve, you can't change the past. So you got to accept it. And focus on what's happening right now. One of the most quoted prayers of all times is what is called the serenity prayer, and it goes like this. I put it in your programs. 
God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You see, beloved, there are some things you can't change. There are some things that will happen to you in your marriage now or that happened to you in your past. You can't change them. There's nothing you can do about it. There are some things you can change. And may you have the, the courage and the strength from the Lord to change those things. But then you've got to have the wisdom to know, well, what are the things I can change and what are the things I can't change? You've got to give up your grudges and you've got to give up on your grief. Number three, you've got to let go of guilt. Beloved, a ton of marriages die because of secret guilt. Man, if my spouse ever found out what I did before we got married, if my spouse ever found that out. And so what they do is they build up a wall so that their spouse never finds out, which means their spouse never gets as close as they could have. Now, they get close. You get married, far out, at last, unbelievable. You get close. But because of some past unresolved guilt, you build up a wall because you don't want people to find out what that is. They may not like you. They may not respect you. They may not, whatever it is. And so you build up a wall, and so you never get as close as God wanted you to, 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 to get. Nothing destroys a, a marriage like guilt. It ruins openness. It damages trust. It kills intimacy. It destroys your sex life. All it does is just mess up all kinds of stuff. I, I meet people all the time who are torturing themselves and their marriage for things that happened long before they were ever married. And that's just not fair to your spouse. That needs to be dealt with before you ever say, I do. So what's the solution to, to letting go of these three things? Well, there's only one, one solution. I'm going to give it to you in one word. The solution is forgiveness. Forgiveness. You confess your sin and ask forgiveness from God, and then you actually accept the forgiveness that God gives you, and then you offer forgiveness to those that have hurt you. The Bible says in John, 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins to God, whatever those sins might be, God will keep His promise and do what is right. God will forgive us our sins. God will purify us from all wrongdoing. Forgiveness is the way you let go of your past problems, those grudges, you know, the, those people that you resent. The, the grief, the guilt. And by the way, no good marriage happens without forgiveness. It's one of the essentials of a good marriage. You must constantly be forgiving each other. Why? Because we hurt each other. Like I said, two imperfect people come together. Sometimes we hurt each other unintentionally, and sometimes we hurt each other intentionally. It happens to all of us. We're human. Now, the, the longer you walk with the Lord, the, 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 the deeper your roots of your faith are, guess what? You, you don't hurt each other intentionally as much. But certainly, we, we hurt each other. When two people say, I do, let me tell you something, that doesn't end 
the hurt, it happens. And so forgiveness is just one of those things that just has to be a part of a, of a marriage if it's going to be good and healthy and all the things that God wants it to, uh, to be. Well, uh, this is the letting go part. You let go of your parents, you let go of other people, you, you let go of your problems in your past. Now I want to quickly deal with the hanging on part. And once again, I want you to look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, I want you to underline the word uh, join. Some of your Bibles use the word cleave. In the Hebrew, it literally means to glue together, to adhere together, to stick together. It's like, it's like super glue. With super glue, the bond becomes stronger than the two pieces you glued together. That's what a marriage is to be. You, you and your spouse are to hang on to each other. You're to be glued together, far out, unbelievable, at last. They come together. She walks down that aisle and you say, I do. And at that moment, you let go of your parents. You let go of others. You let, you've dealt with all your, and you're now glued together. In fact, let me give you a little illustration here. I've got a couple pieces of paper. And you, you, you might think that this is, is lame, but I got a blue piece of paper that represents the guys. And you got a pink piece of paper, and that represents the girls. See, I'm sharper than most of you think. <laughs> I, 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 you, I thought this through. It took me about three or four hours to this, put this one together. And so there comes the bride walking down the aisle. All right, this is unbelievable. And they say, I do. They make vows. The Bible says they're to hang on to each other. They're to cleave. They're to be super glued together. And what I did was, I actually glued two together. <laughs> Guess what? They're together. Now, here's what happens. There's some trouble, and you end up getting a divorce. And now, now you're, you're, on, you're, you're trying to, um, doesn't work. That's why there's such pain in divorce. Because when you come together and you cleave together and you've been super glued together, you just can't pull it apart cleanly. It causes pain and sorrow. You just can't separate and go your merry way. It never comes apart cleanly. But here's what tends to happen. The guy, he goes to the, um, the singles club. And what he does is he shows you the good side. And then, and then the gal, you know, the, the, gal, the gal goes to the single club. And she shows you only her good side. They don't show you this side. They show you the good side. Oh, man, what a wonderful guy. Oh, what a wonderful gal. No. You see, the reason why it doesn't come apart cleanly, the reason why it's so painful is because that's the way it's supposed to be. 
when you come together and you hold on to each other and you cleave together, you're not supposed to come apart. You've been super glued together. I'm always amazed at people who tell me, yeah, we divorced and everything's great. All turned out great. In fact, I know a lot of people, some of you, if I were to put a microphone up here, and I know many of you have been through a divorce, you could come up to that mic and say, let me tell you something. It's painful. Oh, I moved on with my life, and God forgave me or my spouse or whatever, and you moved on. And, and you're living your life to the glory of God now. But if you're honest, every one of you would go, wow. <laughs> Good illustration, Rick. It just doesn't ever end cleanly. Now, we serve a God who can, you know, put us back together. But wow, divorce is one of those things that's just really, really difficult. Oh, man. Let me give you the, the, the two commitments you need to make. The two things, if, if you really want to cleave and you never want to have to rip that apart, and maybe you're on your second marriage, maybe you're on your third marriage, maybe you're divorced and you're going to get married in the future. Remember, I can't do anything about the past, and neither can you. I want to talk about right now. I want to give you the two commitments that are absolutely critical if you're going to cleave. If you're going to hang on to each other, these are two commitments that you have to make. The first one is this. Never Never, never consider divorce as an option. Like I said, some of you have already divorced. Once, twice, five times, I don't know. I'm talking about right now. I can't go back and relive the past. I can talk about right now. You have to make the commitment that I'm never, never, never going to consider divorce as an option. It's never going to even run through my brain. Next time I get married, I'm super glued together. I'm super glued together right now, and I know the pain and the sorrow. I, I, it's not even going to be an option. When you say I do or when, you know, you, you said I do, at that moment, you make the commitment that you're never going to, 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 to divorce. Now, in the future, we're going to, if God doesn't come back, we're going to talk more specifically about some things, you know, communication, intimacy, and all those things. But the foundation for the sake of your marriage, is you got to lock the escape hatch and throw away the key. And the escape hatch is divorce. We just do it. That's just, we just, people just do it. I'm just getting divorced. No. You make a commitment. I'm, I'm never, and, if, and here's the deal. If you've said that to your spouse, oh, then I'm going to get a divorce. May the Holy Spirit work in your life to such a degree that you would go home today and look your spouse in the eye and say, I'm sorry, forgive me for saying that to you. It's not an option. It's not an option. The second commitment that goes along with saying I do or cleaving is, that, is this, is you've got to do whatever it takes and whatever it costs to make your marriage work. You see, if divorce isn't an, isn't an option... Well, what do you do when trouble comes? You make the commitment that I will do whatever I have to do. I will spend whatever I have to spend. I will do it 
Here's the bummer, and that might include going and talking to a professional counselor. They say that 75% of all marriages at one time or another need a professional Christian counselor to help them work through an issue. The problem is, is that most people are so full of pride that they never go and talk to a counselor, which means they're not willing to do whatever it takes. You see, these two commitments go hand in hand. I'm never, I, I am never going to talk or even consider divorce as an option. But what that means is i got to make the second commitment. I'm going to do whatever i got to do, whatever the cost, to make my marriage work. And it might mean coming to celebrate recovery, to deal with some of your past grief or guilt or whatever. It might mean uh, uh, going and talking to a professional counselor. It might mean going into the altar room here in just a moment and talking with one of our spiritual leaders and saying, hey, would you help me? I need some prayer. I haven't been able to let go of my parents. I still have some friends that I hang on to. I've got some past problems that I'm not willing to let go of. If you're not willing to do whatever it takes and you're not willing to spend whatever it costs, let me tell you something, then divorce will be an option for you. When God brings two people together, there are some letting go of and there's some holding on to. And this just kind of lays the foundation for where we're going to go over the next couple of weeks. And I'd like for you maybe just to close your eyes, just real, real quick. Just close your eyes. Don't want you to pray. Just don't worry about your spouse. Don't, don't worry about who's sitting next to you or whatever. I just want you to be alone for a moment. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit really works in your lives as he has mine. <laughs> I'm no marriage guru, trust me. I'm just somebody who loves the scriptures God has a lot to say, and so as I go through this, I'm learning too. I have some things in my life that God spoke to me about. My prayer is that you will be open to how the Lord will speak to you.